Hello and welcome to episode 236 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and today is Rodney Martin Day. Couldn't be more excited. I've had him, uh, been lucky enough to have him on the podcast twice before, and he does not disappoint this time around. Uh, in case you didn't know, uh, many of the younger listeners may uh, not be up on their squash history. Uh, Rod is the, uh, the winner of the 1991 World Open, and in doing so, he became the first player ever to beat Jancher and Jahangir in the same event. What an accomplishment uh, that was, winning not only winning the World Open, uh, but also beating uh, two of the the great well the, the two greatest players of all time that's the conversation isn't it it's Jancher or it's Jahangir and he beat them both in that event well now uh, we all know Rodney has parlayed that into becoming one of the best pro coaches in the game today uh, he's currently coaching uh, women's world number one Noran Gohar and she's had a tremendously successful uh, past couple of years since she's been with Rodney um, and also she, uh, Rodney's been working with uh, men's world number six Marwan El Sherbagi who has had a great resurgence uh, uh, this season and he's playing some of his best squash to date Abdullah El Tamimi another uh, one, of, one of the players in his stable and he's also playing uh, some great squash as well he's got many more uh, in the stable as well uh the the episode here we we cover quite a bit of ground including uh the aforementioned players in the stable obviously and noran's uh, the last year and a half two years have been uh, absolutely amazing for her she's reached every final of uh, uh on the psa that she she's played uh every final last year and each final that she's made uh she's made each final this year uh, absolutely incredible results and rodney goes into uh, some depth in terms of why that is and uh you know some of the things that they work on together also uh, we talk about marwan's game and his resurgence and uh, the talents of abdullah al tamimi as well uh, rodney gets into a bit of uh, uh technical coaching stuff and uh, we talk a bit about what he terms a gimmicky coaching and uh then we flesh that out a little bit and what uh you know basically the fact that we ought to be wary of any coaching that we find online and he gives us uh, some insight onto that uh, i also noticed uh i mean i'm a I'm on the Squash Stories website, also Squash World, uh, on Twitter a lot as well, and uh, did notice that Rodney, he does, he's not on there a lot, but a couple of times he posted uh, a few comments, uh, a few about uh, Mustafa Assal's situations o- over the last couple of years. He's not prolific on the social media, but he, he has posted in the past, so I did ask him uh, for his uh, insights on Mustafa's on-court issues, and uh, and he gives us some background on that. He has a, a bit of a history in terms of uh, competing, uh, his players competing against Mustafa, not only recently, but dating back uh, uh, many years. And uh, we go back into uh, into that and his, what his stance is uh, on that, and you might be interested in hearing that. Just in terms of myself, I mean, I don't have, I'm not privy to uh, the history of Mustafa. I do know he won the World Juniors twice, exceptionally talented player, uh, and a guy that I've had uh, on on here a couple of times. Really enjoyed chatting with him. I think he has a lot of charisma, extremely talented. Uh, so my opinions might differ from Rodney's, but uh, but Rodney has uh, you know some background and some history, uh, having coached. Uh, a, uh, against him over the years and uh, we get into talking about that so this is a tremendous episode i know you're going to enjoy it now before we uh, get into it i do want to uh, say a few words about our tremendous sponsor once again open squash they're a new york-based nonprofit dedicated to bringing thousands of new people into the sport by making it more accessible and more affordable for everyone one of the ways open squash fulfills this mission is through their junior scholarship fund which helps support the 25% of juniors that they try to support with financial aid. They did have a huge fundraiser uh, at the beginning, the beginning of October, and that went extremely well to supporting uh, the juniors that they provide pr- uh, financial aid to. Open Squash's primary vision is, of course, growing the game, and they've brought on board several like-minded PSA pros, including world number one, Ali Farag, Victor Coin, and uh, Gina Kennedy, who I'm hoping you listened to her recent episode, which was uh, which was a really good one. And finally, Open Squash 
uh, executive director Cleve Miller and I we finally managed to get the pod uh, done uh, just the uh, just yesterday in fact and uh, we fleshed out the open squash vision and you won't want to miss it it it's something uh, really special we'll it'll be pushed out uh, by the end of this week with any luck so in the meantime you can visit their website the open squash website at open squash Org. And now here it is, episode 236, with former World Open champion and current coach to world number one, Noren Gohar, Rodney Martin. Good. Good, good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time out today. Uh, really problem. appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pro- promise no golf and no uh, personal squash uh, questions. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah, just yeah. just some just some man crush P, um, JP questions. Just just a few man crush JP questions. I, I know you don't right. mind. Uh, I know you won't mind that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but uh, yeah, great, uh, yeah. great to see uh, you know things going well uh, for your team and for uh, you know for Noran, for for Abdullah, even the, some of the other players that you've been working with. I know you just spent. Um, uh, a great week in the U.S. Open. I saw a lot of the pictures, a lot of the uh, the, the good fun that you were having through a mutual uh, uh, friend of ours. I get uh, you met yeah, uh, yeah. Tabs there. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So just wondering, uh, you know, how that all went out, went uh, for you there at the U.S. Open, catching up with your old friends and uh, you know, watching several of your of your players at the event. Yeah, no, it's, it was. Um... It was great. I mean, as I said, you know, I haven't seen Rob Owen for a long time, for maybe like two years, I suppose. Um, so catching up with him and just just seeing everybody at those events that comes around. Um, at the same time as the, the US Open, there was a big junior tournament in uh, the, one of the JCTs that have some of the, be- the best kids play from America. Um, so they had that tournament on at the start of the event. So the first three days, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, were very busy for me. But uh, There's a lot of junior matches plus the pro matches. So... Um, it was like 12 hour days, <clears throat> um, but, um, you know, I mean, it gets everyone together. It creates a great environment, um, with all the kids there as well as, um, the pros and, uh, yeah, it was a fun week. I mean, players perform well, um, you know, we did some good work in the summer, so it's nice to see it paying off, um, with the way the players have um, competed so far this season. Oh, definitely. Now, um, I mean, we everyone know everyone who follows the pro game, anyways, uh, certainly knows that you're the coach to a world number one, Noren Gohar, and she's been playing exceptional uh, squash for the last uh, couple of years now. Uh, you're also coaching, uh, as far as I know, and I just had him on the podcast actually, uh, Abdullah Al Tamimi, and he's been impressive in the events that he's played in, and he's a guy that I think uh, can go uh, even further. Um, but who else? Uh, just wondering, uh, just to to let uh, everyone know what other players you might be working with, uh, also including, I guess, uh, some of the, the juniors that you just uh, referenced. Yeah, I mean, the pros that I've started, I mean, obviously working with Marwin now um, right. and started and started doing things with him uh, through the summer and then, um, you know, going into this season. And it's been, you know, it's been great working with him. Um, he's very open-minded to change. He saw that he was in a very, you know, sort of a dark place, I think, for his squash, you know, over the last season or two um, and uh, didn't really know where he was headed. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been a you know, good start to, the, <laughs> to our, our coaching uh, team together. And, uh, it's, and, you know, not only him, but with Noran there, with Abdullah. Um, I've been yeah, – start, I did some work in the summer with Dimitri Steinman, um, you know, did a lot of work really on his on his technique, on his forehand, and things like that, which I think's made a huge difference to him playing the way he has this season um, so far. Um, and and someone like him, trying to give him a better understanding of um, the fitness side of the game, how fit he has to really has to be. Um, he came, you know, thinking that he was pretty fit and strong, but um, he soon realised that he wasn't really that fit. Um, so then, you know, we, we spent a lot of time doing a lot of, you know, the hard, the hard running sessions and things like that, plus worked a lot on his technique. So that worked out pretty well for him, I think. And uh, he's got some good results at the start of the season so far. Um, I started doing some work with, um, one of your fellow countrymen, David, um, Bajeron. So, uh, he's, um, 
started doing some stuff with him uh, before he went down to Australia and uh, he just finished the tournament, made the semi-final of the tournament in Canberra in Australia. And, you know, the feedback that I got from him was that he thinks he's played some of the best squash he's played. So that's a good sign, um, you know, from basically doing one week of work with him on his technique and trying to get him to understand how he needs to change some of the things that he's doing with his movement and swinging. And um, he, he took that on pretty quickly. Um, and even in a week, there was a huge change in the way he was striking the ball, the length he was hitting, the control he had, the position he was getting in. So, you know, those, you know, so, so it's been good, a good start working with him. Um, you know, I work with Nicole Bunyan. Um, and I've had other players like Robbo and, you know, and I've got a good relationship. Some of his players have come across now and again. Jazz Hutton, um, that I've done some work in the past with, uh, Charlie Lee, um, you know, so there's been players around like that that I've worked with um, to do some sessions with. But the main group that I work with really is uh, Noran, Marwan, Abdullah, um, David now probably, uh, Nicole Bunyan. Um, it was Chris Binney, but he's sort of, you know, he's not sort of playing much these days. Um, so, yeah, so they're the sort of main group that I'm focused on as the pros at the moment. Um, and obviously if there's any players that, you know, that, that I've just got a guy from New Zealand that's coming, um, Elijah Thomas. He's coming tomorrow to do a, a session with me before a tournament here in, uh, in America. Uh, so um, I'm going to see what he's like as a player and, you know, just give him some feedback and put him through a bit of a session. So, you know, there's players like that that come through, you know. That's really exciting stuff. I mean, uh, all, all the stuff that you mentioned, uh, aside from obviously from uh, what uh, Noran's achieved, I just want to uh, – to, a bunch of stuff there I wanted to ask you about, but firstly, uh, uh, in terms of Marwan, uh, uh, he played, I thought, some really, really good squash uh, at Grasshopper and even before in, in the events prior to that, uh, and he just came up uh, maybe a little bit short. I'm not sure what uh, what happened in the final, but in the semi and leading up to it, he, he looked really, really good. So uh, just in terms of, uh, of the event and what you've seen from him, uh, so far, uh, how would you, uh, what would you assess it as? Oh, I mean, it's been, for him, I think it's been uh, um, this, this, uh, the six or seven tournaments that he's probably played. He's done a lot of travel. He's had a lot of matches. And looking back at it, he probably wouldn't have entered all the tournaments he did if he thought he was going to be playing this well, I don't think, you know. So um, he's probably thinking that he, you know, he's not going to, you know, he may not go that far in some of the events. So, you know, he'd be moving on to the next tournament, whatever. But he actually has got through to finals or semifinals of nearly every tournament that he's played. So it's it's increased his workload, you know, a huge, a huge amount. And obviously he's done a lot of travel. He's organized some exhibition stuff in between the tournaments. And, you know, so he's gone from Qatar to Egypt to um, to um, Sweden, to America, to, you know, to, to France, to you know, and then play, then to Switzerland, and so yeah, he's had a lot of lot of things happen. And I think the final in Grasshopper was basically one match too far. Um, he sort of needs a bit of a break, you know, get a, you know have a, have a week of not doing much, probably give himself a chance to recover. Um, and people people don't realise the difficulty is when you do start becoming good enough and you get through to these later stages of tournaments all the time, it is very taxing, you know, to do it week in week out and you need to manage your schedule well to, to, to try and stay fresh. And, you know, obviously, unfortunately for Mustafa, he got, you know, he got um, defaulted in the U S open, but it, it probably worked in his favor because he's going to be, he was fresh for this tournament. He was, you know, he was ready, ready to go. He was keen to play um, and had a bit of, bit of a time off from tournament play, basically um, forced upon him. But um, you know, whereas Marwan was in the opposite boat that he was playing all those events and, and got through the later stages. And as I said, it's probably one match too far for him. Um, he was a little like, even from the, you know, the first game, even though he had a chance to win the first game, yeah. I could tell to, yeah, that in the final, as soon as he started hitting the ball, he was a little off. He wasn't hitting the same lines. His length wasn't as good. He was a little slower to react to things. So you could see he was probably just in that little bit more fatigue state going into that match. And, and the outcome was the outcome, you know? So, but overall, you know, I'm really happy with the progress that he's made. And I think he's really happy with what we've done and what we've talked about, um, what we, what, what I think he can achieve going forward. So it's all positive, I think, from my point of view, working with him. Absolutely. Uh, I was really impressed with what I saw. And especially, and I'm 
probably pretty sure that you've been addressing this with him. It might, uh, the mental side of it, uh, you know, he's been as strong mentally uh, as I've ever seen him. He doesn't really seem to get uh, overly uh, upset or put off by, by things. Well, going well you, 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 you've got a short memory because um, <laughs> he was not very mentally strong in guitar when he played Mustafa there. And it was just like a big blow up, which, he admitted, you know, that he that it shouldn't have been the way he was, but it, it happened on the court at the time. Um, and the good thing about working with Marwan, you can have a joke with him about that after the match, and he ta- and he takes it on board, and we can have a good laugh about it, you know. So um, there's things like that that um, which makes it enjoyable working with him. Um, he can he can sort of forget about what's happened in a sense of what's happened on the court, takes it on board, and he's trying to get better at that sort of stuff, not to let his emotions get on top of him when he, when he's in a difficult situation. Um, but the other side of it is he actually, the way he is as a player, you can see when he gets fired up, he actually gets himself playing a little more aggressive. So it's sort of trying to work out the fine line between stepping over that line of being too aggressive and then, you know, mentally not handling it to keeping him on that sort of same sort of path of being um, mentally switched on, being aggressive, um, and, and as I said, not stepping over the line when he's doing that. So, um, that's still going to be a challenge going forward, but, um, I think the better he hits the ball, the better he understands what he's trying to do, the, the, the more understanding of, you know, what he's trying to do in a match against every player that he's playing against with regard to, you know, the, the game plans and what, what, what he should be focusing on. I think if he, if he keeps focusing on those things, the game becomes uh, much more structured and there's less confrontation. There's not balls going through the middle and, you know, getting in these confrontational situations. So um, I think that's the case with all the players, you know, that if they hit the ball more accurately, there's less, there's less, <laughs> you know, there's yeah. less confrontation. So um, I think that's what we, what we're really focused on, you know, to try and keep that, the, the accuracy and the, the consistency in his hitting, which will give him a chance to play the way he wants to play. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, I did forget about that that incident there, but um, I mean, I, th- I think in Grasshopper, though, I mean, he definitely showed some a lot more composure. And I think overall, I guess what I was getting at was that uh, he's not he tends to be less prone to to go in that way as he may have been previously. So that's something you I get. Obviously, you've been working on on that with him, but. Uh, Let's just move on. We can move on. I wanted to ask you about yeah. Dimitri because I just had him on, on the podcast and uh, watched his matches uh, there at Grasshopper, and, and they were amazing. I loved the uh, the cowbell going off every time he, he <laughs> went a point there. But, uh, I mean, you talked about his, uh, you know, his, what he felt, he may have felt that he's fitter than he was. He's certainly fast, so maybe he was confused by, uh, you know, being quick around the court as opposed to being fit for the court. Yeah, but I mean, I think um, even even that, I think I've shown him that he there's a way to be fast. When I first started doing some stuff with him, I, I think I, I, I pinpointed some of the areas like that that he needed to really focus on. Where he, he you know he, he calls himself the jet, where he wasn't really he wasn't really the jet to me when I first saw him moving because he actually he actually spreads out too far. He actually you know lunges too big at the front of the court, so you know, trying to get him to run to the ball more, to be more balanced when he's playing. So not only can he play better shots and be in a better position to have more options, but he gets off the ball better. Because when I first started working with him, it was so easy to feed him and get him out of position that he couldn't get back. I'd have to slow down the feed because he stretched himself so far that he couldn't get off the ball to get the next position. So Hmm. showing him those sorts of things that were happening, that really, you know, he, he might be fast in one particular movement, but the next movement, he can't get back and cover the next position. So um, <clears throat> so that's where, you know, if players work that out and they can see that he, they just got to keep stretching him, stretching him, stretching, then, then he can't recover. And then his speed's irrelevant, basically, because he just can't get back off the ball quick enough. And, and he doesn't look quick at all because he's getting beat on just, you know, people opening up the courts and just driving the ball away from him and he can't get the ball back. So sort of like pinpointing some of those areas to f- try and focus on and fix. And obviously his forehand was a real problem, um, but I think I did a fair bit of work doing that sort of stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not his you know, full-time coach. Rob Owen, you know, I think Dimitri, you know, he's, um, Rob's his full-time coach in a sense. Um, yeah. But he, he's been over here a few times. You know, I've been over a couple of times this last year in, in blocks of three or four weeks or whatever it is to do some work with me. And um, 
and I think it's been pretty productive, the stuff that I've done with him. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess between you and, and uh, the work that Rob's doing, uh, hopefully uh, things continue to to get better for him. I've I've been impressed uh, with the with the development. I hadn't really seen him play uh, up until the beginning of this year uh, that yeah, much. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and uh, and also, uh, how's Abdullah doing? Uh, notice he hadn't been playing in uh, recently, anyways, in, in the last couple of. Oh uh, uh, yeah, so he, he's um, he was in San Francisco, and his wife's it was due like they just had their second baby. So, okay. Okay. Uh, so he he was in San Francisco and his wife we had to go to hospital three times that in that week or you know in, in those few days that he was there. So he yeah he 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 lost first round in in um, San Francisco and then was supposed to come to me and then go to the U.S. Open, but he had, he had to fly back to Qatar basically to be with his wife before the um the baby was oh. due. So um that just that's just part of life couldn't be helped. Yeah yeah. So Everyone's he's back, healthy, he's back I hope. training. Yeah, everything's gone well. So yeah, he's happy and uh, he's back. He's training and he, he feels good about everything. Um, he's looking forward to the next lot of tournaments coming up. So he's been playing really well. He's gone to a different level in his maturity and the way he's playing. Um, and obviously that's shown in Qatar when he's having wins against someone like Paul Cole and then following it up with you know another win the next day. Um, you know, so you know I think he's he's shown that he's he's sort of got a chance to go to another level this season. You know. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I really enjoy watching him play, and he he has such a, a, a unique game and, and an exciting game to watch. And the way yeah. he uh, the way he played against Paul uh, in Qatar, uh, I mean, I, I spoke to him about that. The, it looked like the game plan was to get in front of Paul a little bit. I, I mean, I'm not sure uh, if that's what you were thinking or not, but it just looked like he was playing the ball a lot earlier and forcing. Uh, I think Paul's movement a little bit. Is that something that you guys worked on game plan for? Oh yeah. I mean, obviously there's things that we've identified and the way he plays and it's trying to, you know, gear a game plan towards his strengths. And one of the things that, you know, working with him over a number of years now is you, you know, you've got to understand what kind of player he is and he wants to be creative and you so you don't really want to take those options away from him. Um, but you need to, you know, get him to understand that it's, he's got a lot of skill and he should be trying to take on these players in more of a skills contest, not, not necessarily just trying to keep the ball in play basically. So um, if we can work out, you know, the game where, you know, he's using different heights and changing the tempo and changing the pace and taking the ball short when he should, but it's really about understanding, you know, when he should be taking the ball short, when he shouldn't be, when he should be holding the ball, when he shouldn't be holding the ball, you know, things like that. And he's got all that ability to do that. Whereas, you know, there's not many players on tour that have really got a lot of the attributes that he has, you know. So it's just a matter of trying to get him to, you know, bring them all together more consistently week to week, basically, you know. Yeah, that's great. Great stuff. And then, of course, obviously, uh, there, there's Noran. And uh, I think the I think everyone, again, who follows <laughs> the game, uh, they know that uh, she's been to every final uh, she was into every final last year yeah, yeah. and she's done the same this year. So uh, it, mm. you, you can't, you cannot uh, put the bar any higher than that. So uh, once yeah, she, but I mean, she, she, she definitely um, is, is starting to just starting to play a little better this season. Mm. I mean, not many people know she, she had a, a, a bit of a shoulder, a real shoulder problem through the summer. Um, and we didn't really do any hitting basically. So, it wasn't only it was only till about two weeks, two and a half weeks before she went to the tournament in Houston that she actually got back on court and started hitting. So for her to, you know, to win that tournament and then go to Egypt and make the final, okay, she lost to Hannah in the final, but you know, it was it was definitely, you know, trying to yes, trying to build her game through those first few tournaments because we didn't have the the time that we wanted to do some of the stuff in the summer because of the 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 problem that she had. So, but that's all fixed now and she's got no problem with that and she's back hitting the ball. And even in Egypt, even though she didn't win the tournament and she didn't play her best squash in that tournament at all, but I could see and I could, when we were practicing in the morning, I could tell that she start every day she started hitting the ball better. Um, and I could see the accuracies, the, the tempo, the, the speed in which she was doing things was coming along. It didn't necessarily, it didn't come out really in her matches, you know, um, in that, in that tournament, but the, when we came back after that tournament, we had 10 days or two weeks before the US Open. And it, she went to another level in that two weeks of just really getting back to the way she needs to play to pressure people and to understand what she's doing and how she's going to play and what she needs to, the, the, the way she's hitting the ball and the accuracy and what she's doing. 
And, you know, I could tell going to the US Open, she had a really good chance of winning that tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and through the week down there as well, like you know, the practicing that we did down there was was really good. She hit the ball really consistent. I could see that she was really on, you know, on edge the way she wanted to play. And I think as the, as the tournament went on, you, you saw her get better and better every match, basically. So, I mean, obviously, um, she struggled a little bit against Rowan. She got through that match, um, which is a good match for her to, you know, you know, sometimes she goes through some tournaments where she's beating these girls very comfortably and then all of a sudden she gets into a final against one of the girls like Shabini or Hania and she hasn't really had a match so um, it's actually I don't mind her having a bit of a struggle like in one of the earlier rounds to try and fight her way through some of those matches sometimes Um, I think it's good for her physically and mentally to try and do that and then came through that and then played really well and you know really played really well against Tyab and then again same thing in the final against Shabini so it was like um, you know, I could see that it was coming, um, and it just it came, it all came together pretty well in the, at the U.S. Open. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that that was really uh, one of the best I've seen her play in, in a while. I mean, obviously she played well uh, uh, like that on, on a few occasions last year, but uh, that yeah. was a that was a magnificent performance. And I was just wondering. I mean, you guys have been working together. I'm not exactly sure how long. Maybe over, over a year now, at least a year and a half. Uh, yeah, yeah, almost. I mean, I think we first got together about two years ago, almost. So, yeah. Um, I was then, just yeah. wondering when you first, when you came together, when you first came together, uh, what were the areas of her game that you felt, uh, or maybe together that you felt you wanted to work on? I did. I think she she mentioned it as well when I spoke to her. Uh, she lost a little bit of weight, and you can see that she's thinned up, but she's also, I mean, she's fitter than I've ever seen her. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that was the problem when I first started working with her. She was in the shape she was in, and it's like she worked. I, I mean, when I first started hitting with her, I really couldn't believe the the intensity that she came every day to practice. Like I've never seen anybody really, you know, male or female, really the way she goes out there and, and does what she does every day, day in day out, and uh, it just it shows you know the level that she's at, you know, mentally when she's there. But you know, off court, she's a completely different person. She's very soft spoken, you know, sort of. Um, you know, she's such a nice girl off court, but when she gets on court, she's a totally different animal. You know, so uh, it's um, it's uh, yeah. I mean, but it was it was it was refreshing, and I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be great working with someone like this who's so into what she's doing. Plus, she wanted to learn more. You know, I, you know, she sort of got to a point. You know, you know, Aziz did did a great job with her getting to you know, where she where he did with her through a junior level and going on the tour and all those things. All the years that he worked with her. Um, but I think she just felt like she she wanted to to learn more about the game, learn how to play the game a bit different. She knew she was very one dimensional in the way she was trying she was playing, and she said to me when we first started working together, she says she, she knows that this I can't keep doing this. I can't keep just playing the way I'm playing, and the girls aren't going to get used to this, and they're going to I need to do something different. And and I think that's probably what you know what you know I brought to the table with her that I could show her you know, what she should, how she could be, get better as a player, like with regard to a technique, with regard to a movement. But it was more about some of the other stuff as well, like the strategies and the way analysing people's games, analysing what's going on with their, her opponents that give her trouble, why they give her trouble, how you can counter some of the stuff that they do, um, you know, how, how you go into matches, understanding the the fundamentals of what they're doing well and not and where they're weak. So I think, uh, you know, those sorts of things, I think she really enjoyed just having those sorts of conversations about things um, like that. Um, and that's, you know, and that's in general what I do with my coaching, Jerry. It's like it's, it's a fundamental way of, um, you know, coaching in a sense of, if you understand technically with, with, with regard to understand the technique of the swing, what creates good contact, what creates, you know, um, consistency in, in hitting and, you know, all those sorts of things, you can, you can analyse and you can actually identify players' weaknesses if you actually understand that side of it. And I think I do that, you know, as well as anybody, I think, that I understand the swing, I understand the technical side of the thing, the, the swing, and, and I, can, I, can, I can pinpoint where someone's going to be weak at some point. It might take some time for them to break down. It might take some, some good execution to put the ball in these certain positions, but there's certain things that people do with their swing and it, it doesn't allow them to be consistent. And if you can identify those things, execute the shot to put it in those positions often enough. And as I said, it's not, it mightn't happen every rally, but if you keep doing it under pressure situations, under when they're starting to get f- fatigued, 
those flaws or those deficiencies in their swing or their movement or whatever it is that you've identified come out and they'll give you opportunities. Then on top of that, you have to be good enough to take the opportunity and win the rally from that position because that's what you've tried to create. And then you've got to switch on and say, right, this is, I've done that. This is the, they're giving me this position and I've got to put the ball away or I've got to do something with it. That's going to win the rally basically. So I think I do. I think that's some of the things that, you know, that I've added to her game to understand that and to, to break down other her opponents, what what they do well, how we can how we can attack them, what goes on, you know, with, with their swing or their movement or what they're going to give you at some point in a rally. And if you put the ball to those positions and you execute the shot properly, you are going to get positions. And that's something that's confidence in a player. Then they're going into these matches where they know that something is going to happen at some point, and they and they're not going to go into a match thinking, "Well, how am I going to win this point?" It's going on and on and on. There is there is a time it's going to happen, and, and you just got to take advantage of it, basically. Yeah, uh, definitely. And I just wanted to ask you. I mean, in the in the uh, the U.S. Open where she she played so well there in the final, and you mentioned the the match with Rowan as well, who's been playing playing some good squash yeah. herself. Uh, I just thought that that Noran really showed that you know she she had a lot of variety in in that final. I mean, she you know she was hitting the ball as she does, but then she was moving it around. Well, she, she had good hands in the front court. Uh, and that was, I think that was really uh, the reason for her, for extreme, her extreme uh, success in the event, just the ability to, as you said, you know, be able to, to play a variety of different shots whilst, um, you know, keeping to her, her normal game. Yeah. And I think that's what we're trying to add to it, that there is, there needs to be some variation. There needs to be some, you know, deception. There needs to be some more touch at the front of the court. Um, there needs to be better defense when she's under pressure. Um, you know, all those things that we're, we're, that we're working on. But as I said, you know, through the summer, you know, I was expecting to do at least sort of eight to 10 weeks work with her, you know what I mean? To try and get her working on these, these areas of a game, which we never really got the opportunity to do. So, um, so yeah, so we've been sort of, you know, trying to do this, this stuff during the start of the season. I think it's come together pretty well and she's in a good place now um, mentally about the way she knows she's playing and the feeling on court. Um, and I think she's only going to get better. I think, you know, over the next sort of, you know, this next half of the season, I think it's going to be good, especially, the, you know, the, the next from, you know, after Christmas probably through that, that tournament. And hopefully she, you know, gets to the point where she's really firing on all cylinders when it comes to the World Championship, you know. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, now, along the way, she's probably going to butt heads with uh, with Hanyel Hamami, and uh, I think last season and and at the beginning of this season as well. Uh, every time they play, it's pretty much a box office. I, I don't think uh, even on the men's side that there aren't. Uh, I think most people would would want to watch this match over any other uh, over any other pairing in in an event. I was just wondering, uh, you know, over uh, last year, obviously you had a couple of incidents, but. Uh, uh, I, there's, I heard there might be a bit, little bit of a history in terms of you know the ba- backstory there. So, uh, just in terms of uh, their their matches, uh, what do you think about them? And they're very exciting, obviously. Um, and uh, what uh, what do you know about that backstory between the two of them? Well, I mean, not not that much really. I mean, and I don't see it being. A, I, I mean, I try and not worry about it too much. I think. Any, any player at the top of the sport is going to have rivals that are going to be, they're not going to be best friends with. They're going to try and beat them. They're going to be aggressive when they're on court with them, whatever. I mean, it's just the way that you're playing sport at the top level. I mean, that's the way it is. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, I, I don't see it being a, I see it, I see it being a good thing for the sport. They're both, you know, the, the top three really like, you know, with Shabini, with Noran and Hania, I mean, they've, they have really separated themselves over the last few seasons compared to the rest of the girls, but the other girls are getting, you know, they're getting better. There's some other, you know, you can see this season that, you know, Rowan's playing better. Um, Amanda's playing better. Sabrina's obviously had a win against um, Hania. Um, uh, Taeb's playing well. So there's yeah. some, you know, there are other challenges out there for them without focusing so much on, you know, the rivalry between Hania and, and, and Nora, you know, I'm not focusing on, Hania is if she's the she's the only player that Noran has to beat. You know what I mean. So, as as a coach, I'm not. I'm. She's just another player that we we're going to work out how to beat. That's not. There's no added added um, thought about it because you know she's. Yeah. You know, there's some rivalry between them. You know what I mean. So yeah, I guess I guess it's, just it's, for this from a spectator's point of view, uh, it's it's kind of you know one of these matches that that you wouldn't want to miss that. 
from a spectator. Yeah, well, that's, like, well, that's, well, that's good for the sport, isn't it? If yeah, that's absolutely. the way people think about it, you know. So, um, so yeah, you know, I think going forward, that that, that rivalry ain't going to stop. No, 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 exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I love watching both of them play. It should be I like uh, and the women's game is fantastic, as you well know. So uh, yeah. it bodes well for for the rest of the uh, the season. Now, uh, yeah. now, Rodney, uh, coaching players at the highest level of the game uh, obviously requires a special skill set and uh, to get the most out of them and improve their game. So you've been extremely uh, successful at this, uh, and uh, this comes from from the players and, and your peers as well. So just in terms of overall coaching, and I know uh, quite a few coaches do listen uh, to the podcast, or at least I hope they do, uh, what, are, what are the keys uh, uh, to coaching uh, successfully at that high level. Well, like I, I think I touched on a bit before that, that it's you know it really comes down to yeah you know, some real basic fundamentals and if you do understand what creates you know a good contact point, you understand how your swing needs to be consistent. Um, you know, you talk about you know we, obviously we don't want to talk too much about golf, Jerry, because that will get you started <laughs> on that. Stuff. No, no. But you look at other sports and you look at things like transition between your backswing and your downswing and all those sorts of things and if you if you understand um and you can break down a swing and understand what should be working well what shouldn't be involved whether it be the rotation of your body i still see so many players out there getting coached to turn their shoulders and rotate their body and all this sort of stuff and it's really that's really to me making them play worse because they're they're doing things that create more timing factors that need to be that, that, that need to line up. Mm-hmm. And I'm all, all about the opposite of that. I'm trying to create less timing factors that affect the swing on a week to week, day to day, hour to hour basis. That it's just like you walk on the court, you just you focus on these fundamentals and you're gonna hit the ball well every day. And that's when when you're adding all these other things in that just become it's almost like I see a lot of gimmicky stuff out there. And I, and I think that's from what I see, it's like that's when people don't really know the fundamentals of what a good technical swing is or the position you need to be in at the ball and your movement to the ball and things like that. And if and, and how you can create this deceptive position if you know what you're talking about and you're, and you're getting in these positions. And um, there's a lot of stuff out there on the internet that I think is just, like I said, gimmicky stuff that, that doesn't make sense. And if a player... You know, it's like, you know, working with David um, Bajeron for, for a week and he came to me and he talks about him. He talked about himself as being a, a strong, you know, he's he's quick, whatever. But again, same as Dimitri, they didn't actually run to the ball. They skipped to the ball and then lunge. And it's like, well, that's definitely not the quickest way you can move. And then it's not the most efficient way to be in, a, in the best position to play the best shot you want to play. And then you can't get off the ball the way you want to because you're stretched out so far. So when you just straight away, you can break down something like that saying, well, you're actually making the game more difficult for yourself, not, not easier. So when those sort of things, when I see players like that, it's pretty simple to show them why I, I think they should be changing to a different movement, um, the way that they move to getting their, their feet closer together, not further apart. Um, I hear all the time about having this, you know, this solid base to work from and all this sort of stuff. I mean, it just, it, to me, it's, it's people talking that they don't really understand what they're trying to create. They're just saying something because they need to come up with something to coach people with. And they go down this path of this gimmicky thing. Like the other day, I saw something post online about using cold balls as if using cold balls in routines is going to be something that's going to make you a better player. Like, well, every shot you hit with a cold ball looks good because it doesn't bounce. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, mean, I mean, it's ridiculous, you know? Yeah. So, but people buy into it because it's on the internet and people talk about it. And because it's on the internet and people post things, people buy into it because they think it's right. And it's like, that's a very dangerous thing for me where you see there's so much information out there now, but it's really common sense stuff. You know, it's like, if you're, if you're doing something that doesn't feel right or it doesn't, or someone can't tell you that you're, you know, why, why this, why you should be doing this and to show you how you're going to be a better player because of this then you've got to have some common sense as a player and say, well, no, I'm not going to follow this. This guy might be telling me something and I might, I might get lots of good information about other things, but this one particular thing where they're telling me to move like this doesn't make me feel better. It makes me feel worse. So why would you, why would you do it? A lot of us uh, uh, tend to do a bit of ghosting. If we have time, what would you uh, say would be the most uh, sort of effective or efficient way to, 
to utilize ghosting in your training uh, routines? I mean, I mean, ghosting's always been a you know part of the sport, about a part of training. But again, um, for instance, I you know I had Marwin come to me and he started. He, I said to him, "Well, show me. You want to do a ghosting session that he's been doing for a while?" And I said to him, "Okay, show me how you ghost." And again, it was just so inefficient. It was just like not really thinking about how he's going to get in position at the front of the court to play the ball the way he wants to, and and it's and focusing on the wrong leg basically you know like a lot of people focus on your front foot at the front of the court where that lands and whatever else but the the most important thing is to make sure your back leg is in the right position because then your front leg doesn't have to reach for the ball so if your back leg's always too far away from where you want to hit the ball from then you then you're reaching and stretching too far with your front leg so you need to ghost that way you need to understand about getting in position like that um, so there is still, you know, all those little things like that need to be incorporated in your training to make sure you're not just reinforcing bad habits because you're doing ghosting and you're actually not hitting a ball, but you still should be thinking about how, how efficient you want to be. Are you in a position to be deceptive? Are you, are you getting up the court in balance where I can get off those positions really quickly, you know? So, um, so all those things I think are important and, 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 you know, people use ghosting for different things, but I think that you still got to focus on the, if you're doing it the right way, you know? Yeah. I, I, that's just exactly. Uh, I mean, I used to use ghosting to, well, for a variety of ways, but uh, I think uh, in terms of efficient movement, uh, as you said, that's, that's something that we should all be trying to, to focus on if, if we want to be moving uh, the right way. Is that what you're trying to, uh, yeah. that's what you're getting yeah. at. Yeah. 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 Now, uh, now, obviously, uh, Mustafa Saul just won the the grasshopper, and uh, you know he looked pretty good in doing so. The, the match against Suzuki wasn't uh, wasn't fantastic. Uh, there was a lot of stopping and starting and things like that. And the issues that uh, that dog him uh, appeared in that match. I'm not sure if it was all his fault, but uh, uh, if you were, you know, I asked this co- this question to Rob as well. But if you were coaching. Uh, us all, uh, how would you begin to change that part of his game, uh, the, the movement, the, the movement issues that he has? And what do you think he needs to do to address that? I mean, you know, do, do I want to go into coaching him to be a better player? Probably not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you mean? Um, Sorry, Rob. Rodney, uh, you, you mean that he's already you know, he? I mean, he's he's already a fantastic player, anyways, right? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's but it is. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I've, there's a lot of confrontation every time things are happening, and you know, I actually, for instance, I listened to a um, podcast the other day with Adrian Grant and Jamie Maddox did a podcast with Bruce Huberman, and uh, and I listened to that and. They were talking about, you know, refereeing and, and Assal and people like that, you know, what was going on and all that sort of stuff. And and the way that it was explained was like as if this reputation has been thrust upon Mustafa Assal. And I just disagree with that 100% because mm-hmm. that's not what's happened. Because if you talk to anybody that, was, that saw him play or played against him as a junior, he was doing exactly the same things as a junior coming through the junior ranks. And I saw him when he first came on tour and I had players play against him. And, for instance, Chris Binney played him in a match in Canada, one tournament, 10K tournament, five or 10K tournament. And I've never seen somebody basically cause so much disruption in a match than, than, than Mustafa in a match like that. And even back then, there's no preconceived reputation that Mustafa Assel had. No one was talking about him as if the, all these things were happening all the time. But in that match, he got the match awarded against him, against Chris Binney, because of the wow. antics and the things he did back then. So this has been going on for years. And the, people don't see that. You know, you see, you know, Jamie Maddox on his side talking about this as if he's young, he doesn't know, give him a chance, whatever. They, they don't realise how long this has been going on for. And I've seen it from day one on tour. And, and I've never seen somebody... Waste as much time. I've never seen someone fake an injury like he did. The amount of times that he did in these small tournaments, they faked an injury, had a three-minute break when he was losing or when he, when, when he was getting fatigued or whatever. Fake an injury, come off court, come back on court and absolutely fly around the court like he's, you know, a million miles an hour. And to me, that's where the ref should be straight away onto someone like does that and giving him a conduct stroke against him because there's nothing wrong with him. He's just wasting time. Yeah, so yeah. he's done this. 
he's done this for years and I've got no sympathy for him because he's been taught to do this. He's played this way. He's used it to his advantage to get up the rankings when he was not that, you know, not that skillful as a player. He used whatever he needed to do to win. Now people think that he's getting a little better at this. Well, he is in a sense, but the only reason is that he doesn't use it as much anymore in some of these tournaments is because it's like the final. There wasn't much confrontation in the final because he won easy. Yeah. And when he doesn't win easy, it goes into this same old stuff all the time. When the match gets tight, when there's things that are going to happen, he uses whatever he needs to use to win. And most players are like that as well. I'm not saying Mustafa's the only one. All I'll say is that this has been going on for a long, long time and, you know, these keyboard warriors that are, you know, talking stuff about it all the time, haven't seen this stuff going on and thinking that this kid's just, uh, he's getting a raw deal. He's, he's created this for himself. And it's, it's, and it's been years of him doing this, not just, oh, the last season or two. It's been, it's been since he's a junior. Mm. So, you know, I think that that's where, you know, people have got to really, you know, take And this isn't the first time. I see all this stuff written on social media about this stuff and as if he's getting victimised about this, what he does and how he goes about getting in the way. Johnny Williams said something to me when we're in Egypt, when we're talking about refereeing and whatever else, we're by the pool actually just having a conversation about stuff. And he talked about there's a coach in Australia, a a recognised AFL coach, um, Lee Matthews, was the player of the century. He coached the Brisbane Lions to three premierships in a row. He's one of the best coaches, whatever. And he, he, he was getting interviewed one day and he said, one of the things that we do as an organisation and as a group, um, we, we look at things in a common sense way. And if you're about to do an action or do something, would the, would the, would the organisation or the team be better or worse off through that action? And I say it's the same thing when you talk about those sorts of things when you're talking about if a common sense approach should be this if everybody played and did exactly the same movements that Assel does all the time when he's under pressure and he tries to get his body in the way, he steps his back leg out, if everybody played exactly like that, do you think the sport would be better or worse off? And there's only one answer. Right. It'd be worse off. So you've got to stop it. And this uh-huh. is and, and, and just let me you know, just going on this, like there's plenty of times where PSA have had to step in and they, you know, people talk as if he's getting, he's like the only person in the, in the world that's ever, been, something's had to change for the way he goes about things. When you look at PSA, you go back to Armour Barada. When mm. he was playing, they came in and, and stepped in and he had to stop turning on the ball all the time and asking for less because he would commit to a position at the front of the court, way too far up the court to try and volley the ball. And then he, he wouldn't get it. And then they hit a wide and he'd go around and ask for a let every time. So in the end, the PSA said, look, you can't keep committing that far up the court and then, then asking for a let. So if you do that again, it's going to be a no let. So they, they had to t- make a stop on that. They mm. did the same thing with Gultier when he started playing that low, hard, half-court kill um, to the backhand side and stepping straight back to the tee. I mean, the ball's landing half court, blocking the person's access to the ball. Okay, it's a tight shot and whatever, but you're not allowing people to get through to the ball. So the PSA stepped in and said, right, that's going to be a stroke on you. you know, if you keep doing that, you know, it's a similar thing I would think to what Assel's doing, you know, you know in, some, in some respect, that, you know, blocking the path to the player to where the ball is. So it's not like the first time this has happened with PSA, that they see something that's not good for the game and they're trying to do something about it. Well, didn't uh, Barada also have that issue with uh, when he was in the front front of the court? He'd stick his or look like he'd stick his yeah. leg, and every, every time same the guy, thing. It's the same thing. It's the like JP some... and those guys would, would yeah. fall over. Yeah. Exactly. So it's the same thing. It's not like the first time this thing something like this has happened. So I think that that's where you know people need to take a you know a real step back and look at what's gone on. And as I said, look at it in a common sense way. And look, and and it's even been even before Asa was on tour. I think. You look at someone like Mohammed El Shabag, and you look at Marwan, you people like that. They were they were picked up on their exaggerated movements sometimes when they when they're playing ball before Asel came on tour, mm-hmm. and that was and they, they had to change that because they were getting pinged for that exaggerated you know body motion after they hit a ball. Um, so the, the, the referees weren't just they're not just picking on Asel at, at, you know for this particular thing they've picked they've, they've done this with other players as well so I think that that's where people are just missing the point about what the whole thing's about um, and then you know on top of that like I said the sport needs to be everybody could do that you know if they wanted to and play that way because everybody at the top level 
knows how to use their body. They know where the person is going to move from. They know where the person is going to play the shot from and their next access to the shot that I'm playing, say. I could get my body in the way of every shot that I hit if I wanted to, you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, if the, if the sport was played like that, it's just going to be a debacle, you know? Absolutely. Just in terms of the Saul's movement, I mean, you you were you you watched the Grasshopper, and you've you've seen him play many many times. I mean, he's so explosive, and he has that huge lunge and then recoils back, uh, and he does that so well. But uh, do you think that aspect of his movement? Do you think he he needs to change that uh, if he wants to? Sort of improve. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think. I mean, I, if I, yeah, I mean, I would definitely think about trying to change it because, I mean, obviously, when he's going to the front of the court and he, you know, he's, he's unbelievably strong. But also, I would say, Jerry, he's like, even if he didn't do some of the extreme movements with his back leg and trying to pull his body off the ball as he's hitting it to try and, you know, block the person coming through to the shot, things like that. Even if he didn't do all those sorts of things, which are so obvious. He's a big boy. Mm. There's going to be confrontation. There's going to be there's going to be times where you bump into the guy because he's a big boy. You can't help it. And that's where I think some people are losing some of the stuff. There's some. There's definitely players on tour that are totally over the top with little bumps that he's doing and whatever else, and they're whinging all the time about every little thing that happens. You're going to bump into the guy no matter what because he's you know it's like anybody. There's a big guy on, on the court. There's only so much space. So you are going I think, to. I think Ferris is uh, is guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see, you know, Tarek, you know, being, you know, guilty yeah. of that sometimes. You know, there's plenty of players out there that, that are taking it to the extreme of every little bump. They've, they think that it's been on purpose or something. And it's like, I don't think that he's doing every single shot that he's hitting is something that he's trying to bump you on purpose. But I think that there is some real blatant, you know, really blatant moves that he does when he needs it. And he has done it, like I said, for years, you know. And they're, they're stamping out on that. And if he keeps doing it, he should get another conduct stroke and then a conduct game, and then he gets another match award against him. And he, if, he got, if he's got to get banned again to get it done, then change because it's not good for the sport, you know. I think there's more arguments now than there's ever been, you know, watching the game. It's been ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the match is, uh, you know, the, the, the Diego uh, Marwan match was absolutely amazing. I mean, there was hardly a, you know, a let, there uh, hardly a, a stoppage. Uh, the squash was fantastic. Uh, and even in the final there, although Marwan wasn't really uh, at his best, uh, that was fine. But the, the match with Dasuki and uh, the Tarek match, uh, they were just sort of, they were very painful to watch and we don't want to see that. Well, yeah, but again, you look at the Dasuki match, and I don't look. I didn't really watch that match, so I don't. I can't comment on actual situations. But again, the match was a tight match, wasn't it? Very tight, yeah. Yeah. yeah so again, that's what I go back to. There's yeah. always confrontation when there's a tight match. When it comes to that, and people think that things have changed, they haven't changed. He's just got more skillful, and he's beating people easier in the earlier rounds, so he doesn't have to use any of the things that he uses in these tight. Um, extreme matches that, that he gets in. So there is that side of it for him, but there's still the other side of it from the other players which are complaining way too much about just inconsequential bumps or movements that they bump into the guy or that he bumps into them or whatever it is. But, you know, there's plenty of times where I've seen people posting stuff online um, where they're posting stuff as if they're, they're, they're supporting Mustafa but the, the things they're posting is exactly why he should be pinged for what he's doing. It's ridiculous. Like th there's a rally that I saw the other day with um, Tarek or something. And there was three times that Mustafa ran into Tarek, but each time Mustafa grabbed Tarek and put his hand around him or on his back or pulled him and got him off balance with his left hand. It's like, well, can't you see that that's why he's getting pinged? Because who's, who else is running around grabbing players and pulling them off balance to try and get around them to get a ball? You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. it's just, yet they're, yet they're using that video as if they're, as if they're saying that it's, it's not Mustafa's fault, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's, uh, you know, he's definitely 100% a polarizing figure in, in the squash uh, community. Yeah. Uh, he does need, uh, he is an immense talent in my estimation, but he also does need to clean that part of his game up. And as you mentioned, and I think a lot of people recognize the fact that when it does get tight, uh, especially against certain players, uh, it, it can get a bit ugly, and, and it's not yeah, fun yeah. to watch. So, 
no. Now, uh, something else I wanted to, uh, I heard through the grapevine that the, there, through a few people anyways, that uh, um, some uh, American squash pundits uh, really feel that, uh, that the U.S. within the next 10 years might have itself a, a given the talent that they're producing or, you know, this is their, what they're saying, could have a, a world number one on the men's side. Now, JP, uh, Jonathan Power is the only only player ever from North America to get that far. So just wondering, you're there, you're in the thick of things, you're coaching quite a few juniors over there. So what are your thoughts on, uh, on those comments? I mean, I doubt that that's going to happen in the next 10 years. I mean... You know, you don't have to look at the players that are playing on tour at the moment, um, and the one the, the the young players that are coming through. Um, I think, from what I've seen, I would say that the players that are on tour now, like the Timmy Brownells and you know players like that, they're probably, I would say, you know, a, a fair bit more talented than some of the younger juniors coming through. So, you know, I don't see. You know, I don't see that happening, you know, in the next 10 years, I don't think, unless something drastically changes with, you know, players on tour from other countries, not, you know, not producing anybody. Even though, you know, England won the world teams and, the you know, the world junior, I don't think that was, you know, a classic world junior, you know, in, in a sense of the standard, I don't think. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see that as being something that's, probably realistic in the next 10 years but you know 20 years time you know yeah i mean there's the numbers that are here the coaching that's involved you know that's here the, the way things are going and it really becomes you know whether the sport really does develop into a you know full-on tv sport and the prize funds go up the you know everything becomes more professional getting in the olympics would make a huge difference to this country about players you know targeting the sport a little more not just to use it to go to college to get you know to to get into college and then get a job whatever, um, they'll be using this as a pathway to, to, to be a career in squash, basically, you know. So I think that's there's still a lot to go in that area. Um, and the development of players through other countries are a little more, I think, a little more serious at a younger age, even though there's a lot of tournaments and things like that. Um, there's a different mentality in other countries about, you know, I want to be a professional squash player. And you're starting that process at a very young age, basically, you know. Yeah, I guess, you know, in countries like Egypt, Pakistan, England, you've got quite a bit of pedigree there as well, uh, yeah, yeah. a lot of history. Australia, even. Uh, I mean, speaking of Australia, Rodney, I mean, you uh, you guys produce some of the, uh, obviously yourself, uh, your brother, uh, Rodney Isles, uh, Jeff Hunt, um, Kristen Nancaro, the, the, the list goes on, and also on the women's side as well. Uh, just wondering what your thoughts are on sort of the, the dearth of, um, of talent that's come out of Australia over the last uh, 10, 15 years. Yeah, well, unfortunately, you know, we haven't had the talent come through, um, and that's a numbers game again. You look at, you know, then you go look at Pakistan. I mean, Australia was like the Pakistan of squash in the 70s, 80s, really, um, with the numbers that were playing in the country. It was huge. And um, and now it's just that there's no facilities. Like people talk about, you know, the game sort of dying in Australia. But, I mean, it's not dying. There's just no facilities to play it, you know. Um, I go through this, you know, I think, I don't know the numbers exactly, but, you know, in southeast Queensland, which is just a small pocket in Australia, I mean, they had like 120 squash centres in that area. And now I think there's something like, 15 mm. you know so like when you're losing that amount of clubs you know that you, you, you how do you how do you create the sport that's going to get the numbers there and people are going to be exposed to it because um you know and that's and that's probably the biggest problem that australia's got to develop like we don't have the facilities and that's probably goes back on the governing body and you know squash australia and whatever else that you know, most other sports aren't, aren't um, private enterprise and, you know, the sport's been reliant on, you know, family businesses basically to, to, to run the sport, really, to grow the sport. And you look at any other sport, it's all done through council or, or, or government facilities to build them and, you know, and, and run them basically. So, um, you know, and that's what tap, squash never tapped into in Australia. Well, it's a real shame, isn't it? Because, I mean, the best ball strikers, I mean, you, you, you got yourself, your brother, you, uh, uh, Rodney, I was the best, uh, some of the greatest uh, players in the history of the game uh, come from Australia. And uh, you would have thought, you know, given, you know, better circumstances, you guys could still be, you know, competing uh, 
at the at the highest. Yeah, and I think they're looking, at ways of trying, they're looking at ways of trying to do that. Whether they, you know, sort of trying to get an overseas base again, like they used to, to get players away, yeah, you know, out of Australia to try and get them on tour earlier. Um, because, you know, I know the problems that that created. I mean, working with Ryan Cuskelly, you know, for years and years and, you know, obviously it was a, it was a long process to get him to world number 12, um, but, you know, trying to get him out of Australia to be based over here. And really he started his apprenticeship, if you like, when he got on tour. So he spent, you know, the first three or four years really trying to learn the game better and things like that to to really understand how the type of game and what what makes him what could make him into a good player. And you know, if you're not getting the competition and the things like that happening in Australia, then that needs to look you need to need to look elsewhere to try and get that set up where players have got that opportunity to develop. And I think they're trying to find ways to do that again, which is good to hear. Um, and you know, hopefully that happens because. You know, obviously, it's it's you know sad state where we don't have you know we don't I don't think we've got a player ranked in the top hundred. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, yeah, there's some. I mean, when when you were playing, and I guess the, the years after with uh, you know with with Palmer and uh, and Cameron Pilly, maybe even you had the Australian Institute of Sport, right? And uh, yeah, and uh, I mean that's where you and, and all the other guys pretty much. Uh, uh, did your training, uh, developed your yeah. skills, and, and played match play all, all the time with each other, and that's why you uh, Australia was great back in the day. Yeah, again, it's like numbers. Again, we all trained together. We all, you know, it was, and, and, and again, just the getting groups of players together that can compete against each other every day. You know, so um, it is. It, you know, as I said, it's a bit like Egypt. You know, back in the day. Um, you know, we had six or seven of the top ten players in the world back in, you know, when I was on tour. So, I mean, again, it's, uh, it shows that, you know, numbers and, you know, the people that were involved in the coaching side of things were good. And I think that the knowledge of, um, you know, that sort of side of it is has probably been a bit lost, you know, in, in some respects in, in Australia as well, that some of the best coaches or the best people that understand the technical side of things, how to get people hitting the ball well, you know, have been lost to the game because things have closed down. Other, you know, there's not the not the industry there that it was. So then they moved into other businesses and doing other things. So they've been lost to the game as well. Whereas there's a lot of people back when I grew up that really did understand the game really well. You know, um, whether it be local or you know club players or state level players or whatever it was, there was a there was a huge amount of players that understood how to play the game well. And you've got a lot of experience just talking to them or playing against them. And you don't have that, you know, uh, you know, at this stage in Australia. So, yeah, I don't know if you know the. Uh, we might have talked about this the last time you were on, but uh, in in the league that I played in here a few years ago, the uh, the number one player on my team is a guy by the name of. Uh, Gavin Pennington and he uh, he and his family I think they they owned a, a club and the father ran the club and I think that was very amongst uh, many of the, the the top players in Australia that that was kind of a common theme uh, you know parent a lot of parents or family members would would own squash facilities yeah well my parents built a squash facility you know when I was four years old so and we lived at the squash club on top of in a flat on top of it so it's like you know, that's how we got into the game, um, you know, and we lived there for 15 years before, you know, they sold the business and moved on. But saying that, it's still there. The squash club that my father built, you know, he's still, he's still there and still operating as a squash club and a gym sort of thing. So um, it's pretty incredible, really. So Is that under under the name, the, the Martin uh, family name somehow? No, no, no. No. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, well, Rodney, I think I did a pretty good job. No, uh, no JP and no, no golf, uh, conversation uh, today. So, uh, yeah, but I really appreciate your time and, uh, what, what's up? What, what do you have uh, going on now over the next little while with your team? Um, I'm going to go to Singapore for the Singapore open with Abdullah, okay. um, go there and then, uh, um yeah go back to australia visit my son back there so he's back there so i'm going to try and go back and see him for a bit and then uh basically come back and gear up to the toc really that um, there's some tournament you know some big tournaments going on in america over the next you know from after christmas so trying to get all the players you know ready fired up for those events um so it'll be a lot of you know of you know training you know a lot of days on court with them and doing stuff like that and um yeah getting ready for the the second half of the season well, it sounds exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. You've done an amazing job uh, up until now. And uh, thanks again, Rodney. Appreciate your time today. No problem. Thanks, Jerry. 
Wow, that's episode 236 and still like a kid in a candy store when it comes to having uh, Rodney on the podcast. I tried to temper my, uh, you know, my interruptions this time. Uh, sometimes I can't help myself, especially with a guy like him uh, on the podcast. It just, uh, I get so uh, fired up. But anyways, I think it went, uh, you know, in terms of that, in terms of uh, my behavior, I might have been on my best behavior there. And uh, hopefully uh, you thought so too. Many thanks to, uh, to Rodney for that. And upcoming over the next few days, Cleve Miller from Open Squash, the executive director there. We had a tremendous chat. How do I know that? Well, we already had it. So uh, just a couple of days. I think it was a day. Yeah, yesterday, wasn't it? Uh, time's just flying by. But yes, uh, a tremendous chat on growing the game, what Open Squash is doing in terms of that. And I think there's so there's so much in that podcast that uh, you know I highly recommend everyone listen and everyone sort of kind of get out and take notes and see what we can do uh, to replicate what they're doing. And, and they're looking for people to, to work with all the time across America and I think globally as well. So uh, have a listen to that when it, when I push it out at the end of the week. We've got several others as well. Alan Klein, I uh, can't wait to push that one out as well. Uh, recently retired from the PSA tour. That'll be coming up uh, very soon. And uh, many more, so stay tuned. Many thanks for listening. If you're interested, uh, there's the PayPal uh, app or link or whatever you want to call it on the SoundCloud page if you listen to my pod on SoundCloud and you want to throw a few pennies in the hat there uh, to be a donation to help uh, keep the podcast running Uh, many thanks again for all of you who listen all the very best with your squash and we'll be talking to you very soon within the next couple of days with uh, Cleve Miller from Open Squash take care bye bye